On this episode of This Week in Linux, we're going to check out a lot of distro news from OpenSUSE, Intergos, Kali Linux, BlackArch, and Tails. XFCE is getting closer to releasing their big, uh, next big version, 4.14, so we'll take a look at that for the first pre-release. We'll also get some new app releases for Firefox, Tor Browser, KDE's Elisa, Eliza Music Player, and a new file search called Drill. Later in the show, we'll check out some interesting news from GitHub and their sponsor program, as well as some rather unfortunate news for an Android-related smartphone company, Huawei. Then we'll finish out the show with some deals for Linux games and some interesting ebooks from the Humble Bundle. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to just give you an update for the Linux is Everywhere cell that I mentioned earlier in the week. There's actually been an extension to the cell, so if you are if you didn't get a chance to do it previously, the sale has been extended to um, basically the through Memorial Day because it was supposed to end earlier this morning uh, on Saturday, which was when the this this show is being streamed, but instead it's been extended. So if you are looking for it, you can get 10% off by using the FanFave uh, coupon code. You just use that code in your uh, checkout. Uh, when you when you check out in the cart, it'll have an option for the coupon. Just put it in there. FanFave. It is in the. Uh, I'll have it in the description. If you're listening to the audio version of this show, in the description and the show notes, we'll have the code for you there as well. So yeah, let's get to the show. A version of the show this week is OpenSUSE Leap 15.1 has been released, and this is actually pretty interesting and it's good timing because we also had uh, Richard Brown, the OpenSUSE chairman. Uh, interviewed on des- the latest episode of Destination Linux, which was episode 122. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. Uh, you, it's it's live right now, so if you once you're watching this, you can, or if you're live stream, you could check it out later. Um, it's a uh, it's a very interesting uh, interview. I think it's one of our best uh, so far. So if you'd like to check it out, I highly suggest it. But the latest uh, release of 15.1 Leap is interesting because it's really just an update and a maintenance improvement to Leap rather than a, like a huge new release. But what's, what's really interesting, they do a lot of um, unique things in their, in their versions of their releases. Because, for example, they have the Linux kernel 4.12 in the, this particular version of OpenSUSE Leap. But that sounds like a really old version, right? And the version 4.12 is pretty old, but what they do differently is that they also backport a lot of stuff from newer kernels. So... If you have some kind of hardware that needed support for uh, like 4.19, for example, you can still use Leap to get it because they backported all of the hardware support and graphic support stuff into 4.12. So the version is an old version, but all the support is still available. And that's a really interesting thing to do for a stable release like uh, OpenSUSE Leap. They've also improved a lot of stuff, like they've improved support for high DPI displays. They've actually uh, ch- uh, used the network manager by default now for both laptops and desktops. They've done a lot of security updates for like uh, the MDS and stuff. And they've also uh, improved the look and feel for Yast. So Yast is a really cool tool. It's a really interesting project because it also it has a lot of features. It's really well organized. It gives you a lot of access to doing lots of stuff really easily. But it doesn't look the best, so they've actually improved a little bit there with some new icons. Um, so that's good. Uh, it still needs a little bit of work as far as like the polishing of the design, but functionally it's fantastic. So you know, w- uh, well done for that. Uh, they've also updated uh, the latest version of um, their GNOME install for to three point twenty six. Not the latest version of GNOME, but it's the one that's available in Leap. Um, they've also done some improvements to uh, Qt and Plasma as well. So if you'd like to check it out, OpenSUSE Leap 5.1 is available right now. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. If you want the latest and greatest version of everything, OpenSUSE also has that as a, as a rolling release for OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. So that is available as well. And also be sure to check out the interview that we had with uh, Richard Brown, the OpenSUSE chairman on Destination Linux episode 122. Link to that in the show notes as well. Up next in the show is the pre-release of XFCE 4.14. 
So 4.14 has been in development for quite a while. It's actually been about four years since the previous version of 4.12. And these, there's really not confirmed yet. There's actually been, they're, they're, ho they're hoping to have 4.14 fully released in August of this year, but they haven't given a, con a firm date because they typically do a release structure on it's done when it's done, and that's when we release. So, um, you know, a lot of projects do that, and... That's a you know that's a fair assessment because you don't want to release it when it's not done so sure, and this particular release right now is a pre-release so it's basically alpha so uh, it's closer to what will be available but so like this is the first version that you could use that is 4.14 uh, the rest of them the like the other distros will be using like pre-development to pre even pre pre-release alpha stuff so now if you wanted to try it uh, depending on what distro might ship it. That you could get, uh, you can try out the like the, what's coming in 4.14. But uh, some of the major features in 4.14 include uh, a complete retooling of the applications and toolkit because they're now switching to GTK3, which it was previously GTK2. So UI improvements such as allowing users to uh, trigger, trigger scripts on logout, log uh, logout, restart, and suspend uh, has been added as well. They've also done a support, added vertical blank support to XF, XFWM4 and GTK3 window scaling for high DPI support has been improved. So that's nice because one of the issues with um, with XFC in the past has been just there, there, there's not, because it's based on GTK2 and because it didn't it, it needed to be transitioned to 2 to 3 to get high, high DPI support, uh, you know, using it on a high res monitor was kind of awkward. So now you can do that. Well, we'll soon be able to do that, I guess, is a better way of saying that. And there's been a lot of other stuff improved for, like, the fail-safe session has been fixed to use uh, startup priority groups versus just opening everything at session start. So if your system uh, crashes, it will be able to re restart the things that you were using at the time. So that's pretty cool. And uh, a lot of other stuff is coming out. We're actually going to talk about this particular topic in more in-depth in uh, XFCE uh, 4.14 for Destination Linux in the next episode, which will be released next week. So if you're interested in that, I will not have a link in the show notes because the show's not been recorded yet. But hey, I'll have a link to the XFCE 4.14 pre-release blog post if you'd like to check out, check out that and find out more about it in the show notes. Up next in the show is some rather unfortunate news, and that is Intergos has decided to discontinue their distribution. So after about seven years of development, they have decided that they no longer have the free time to properly maintain Intergos and they decided to discontinue it. On their blog post, they say, we came to this decision because we believe that continuing to neglect the project would be a huge disservice to the community. Taking this action now, while the project's code is still in works, provides an opportunity for interested developers to take what they find useful and start their own projects. Which is actually kind of good because there has there's a silver lining to this. And actually, there's a couple silver linings to this. Uh, because if you're not aware, first of all, uh, Intergos is a distribution that is a derivative fork-ish sort of thing to Arch. But it's also 100% compatible with Arch, so anything that you install from the Arch repos or from the AUR would still be compatible with Intergos, so you wouldn't have like any kind of breakage points because of that. Um, it, it's also very interesting because if you were to install Intergos and then remove everything that was Intergos, then you would have an Arch system. But Intergos created their own custom stuff like uh, custom theming. They had their own uh, custom repos that they maintained pack uh, certain packages that Arch didn't, and all sorts of different things. So, Intergos wasn't like just an installer, even though that was very common for people to say that it was an installer for Arch. It was, it it technically was kind of, but also at the same time, it had its own extra layer on top, like I guess a, an extra layer of icing of Intergos stuff that sat on top of Arch. So yes and no. It was a hybrid that doesn't really have a term for really what it was, but that's that's kind of the gist of it. But anyway, the there are some users who decided that they want to continue to make uh, Intergos Go. Um, so they have created a new uh, project based on the Intergos code that is now just codenamed Endeavor and doesn't really have an actual name of the distro. They're actually having a community uh, suggestions of what the name could be, and you could go to the Intergos forums to uh, participate in that discussion if you'd like to. Uh, but that forum will also be removed in about three months or so. 
What's interesting, though, is that Intergos said, the developers of Intergos uh, said that there's no need to worry about your installed systems as they will continue to receive updates directly from Arch. And they say soon we will release an update that will remove Intergos repos from your system along with any Intergos specific packages that no longer serve a purpose due to the project ending. Once that is completed, any packages installed from the Intergos repo that are in the AOR will begin to receive updates from there. So if you are using Intergos, there might be some packages that are um, basically taken from the AUR, packaged, and then put into the Intergos repos. And instead, they'll be transitioning you back to the AUR version. And so that's kind of like really interesting because it essentially says that if you were to wanting to use Intergos right now, you could still technically install Intergos. And then once this transition phase happens, you would then have Arch and all the Intergos stuff would be removed. So from now to three months or so, whenever, I don't know, actually, you could still technically install Intergos and still have a system running even after the Intergos project officially ends, like completely. So that's an interesting thing because it means that if you were already a user, you don't have to worry about losing your system. Because there's an, an uh, we had a very interesting discussion on the live stream today uh, within the Discord server. Um, we, we were talking about how this is a problem with uh, some distributions because uh, may, not being a mainstream, you have a small amount of developers, and having a small amount of developers means if anybody wants to leave, they lose a significant percentage of their development base, and potentially their the distro might collapse completely. And in this case, there was a very small amount of developers. I was actually a contributor to Intergos for a while. Uh, I haven't really done so in, in a significant amount of time. And that's also true for the current developers as well. And that's why they wanted to discontinue the project because they didn't have the time to do it. But even so that they're doing this, because it's based on Arch and because it's so closely compatible with Arch, removing the stuff that makes Intergos Intergos just leaves you with Arch. So your system is not completely broken if you wanted to continue using Arch. And I think that's a really interesting thing because it uh, it shows that it shows how different the the Intergos development was to other things like Manjaro, which is a complete fork of of Arch. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. And also, I think it's really interesting because um, it kind of gives you another takeaway to the point of if you are using a particular distro, um, you know, letting them know that you are using it and giving them your thanks, whether that's financial support or just giving them encouragement. Uh, might go a long way to have them continue development of the software over the distro. Because uh, I don't know if it's just because they're doing, they said it because they're doing it in their free time and they're not being paid to work on Intergos. They weren't able to, you know, devote time anymore to do it. So maybe if they were being paid because the community was, paying, was giving them contributions or something, that might have changed it. I don't know. But it's still really interesting that you could install Intergos right now and then wait. Uh, to get updates from the, this risk change, and then it transitions directly to Arch. I think that's pretty interesting, and it might not deter people from using Intergos even now, but in about three months, there won't be an option at all. So I think it's pretty cool that they're they're doing it this way, but I do think it's really unfortunate Intergos is gone. So if you'd like to learn more about this or read the blog post for Intergos project ending, uh, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Firefox 67 has been released this week. And this is a really good one because it has a lot of improved performance thanks to a number of changes. They've lowered the priority of setting the set timeout during page load. They have now delayed uh, component initialization until after startup. The painting of the pages uh, happens sooner during page load, so um, but it also happens less often. Uh, suspending unused tabs has been improved, which is really nice because there's actually been a way to suspend tabs that where you you have to manually make the tab not uh, not run anymore or you have to close the browser and then reopen it and then everything that you're not currently using is suspended which is a cool feature but now it's going to automatically suspend the tabs if they're not been used for a certain amount of time very cool they've also improved the keyboard accessibility in the latest version of Firefox uh, toolbar and toolbar overflow menu are both now fully keyboard accessible which is really cool because uh, there's also been a lot of stuff that I wanted to do with the keyboard that you couldn't do, even though you kind of can, can manipulate it and get to it to do, get it to do it. But now 
that it's making basically everything able to do it. The key, the the overflow menu, like the hamburger menu, is actually really cool because it's been a long time since you you there was a when you used to be able to modify and put in the uh, like the quick search that was like the the main address bar, then there was a search box. If you put the search box into that menu, you could activate the menu by activating that small search box, which was Control K. Um, you don't have to do that anymore. So because of this new feature allows you to get access to that menu without having to do this manipulation thing. But anyway, that's pretty cool. Uh, they've also done a lot of other things for improving the keyboard access as for at, like, access to add-ons and the downloads panel and some other stuff. So that's really cool. There's been a lot of other improvements for including users will be able to now run different Firefox installs side by side by default so that you can run the beta and the release version simultaneously or like the beta and the developer version at the same time. So that's very cool because it used to be like an issue where the different pro like the profiles would conflict so you could only use one at a time. Now you can do but multiples. So that's really cool. I'm also going to be doing some uh, specific videos for Firefox in the future soon because I'm going to do some videos that are talking about uh, specific features that I really am a big fan of for Firefox, as well as like the five reasons that I choose Firefox and why it's my favorite browser. I'm going to do those videos uh, within the next week, at least one of the videos within the next week, uh, coming week. So uh, be sure to subscribe if you're wanting to get uh, check that out. Uh, there's one of the things that I really love is the multi-account container system. They actually have, like that's one of the reasons that I, it's probably the main reason that I use Firefox. That feature is fantastic. And I recently found a way to improve that feature by um, setting it up where it will connect to using some uh, additional add-ons to make it so that if you save a particular uh, bookmark in a certain way, that it will automatically open that bookmark into that particular container, which is awesome because it's something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Now I figured out how to do that, and I'm going to make a video about that as well. So... Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Firefox 67 of release notes, I'll have the link to those in the show notes as well as the blog post talking about that uh, particular release in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Tor Browser. 8.5 has been released, and this version of Tor Browser is actually included a stable release for Android. So you can use Tor Browser 8.5 on both your desktop, laptop, and on Android which is really cool because they actually did have support in an experimental thing for a while. But this is the first stable release for Android with the Tor browser, which is awesome. Um, the features included in the Android version are zero proxy bypasses. First-party isolation is enabled to protect you from cross-site tracking. Uh, most of the fingerprinting defenses are working. Uh, they do mention that there are still uh, some feature gaps between the desktop and the Android version of the Tor browser but it does provide essentially the same protections overall. And with the 8.5 browser, you also get security slider right from the toolbar without having to navigate through menus to find it. It comes with a redesigned UI using Firefox Photon and a new logo. Uh, there are many other tweaks and bug fixes included, so go, down, go download the version of for Firefox or desktop if you want to check it out. I actually think that I actually like the fact that they're doing Android version because I use Firefox on the Android, but I tried out the Tor version in the in the previous uh, versions that they offered, and it was kind of clunky and it didn't really work that well. So I'm really happy to see that the Tor browser is now a full stable release on Android. So that is awesome. If you're not familiar with Tor browser, it's using the Tor as a browser specifically made for the Tor network for privacy and security reasons, and it's made by the Tor project. So. If you would like to be uh, to check it out, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by uh, you, actually, the patrons of, Tes of Tux Digital. You can, if, if you're a, whether you're a patron on Patreon or Sponsus, Sponsus technically calls them sponsors, but eh, it's easier for me to say patron for everything because that way when I make tweets and etc., I just use one term that applies to everyone. Eh, it's easier for me. Anyway, so... Uh, if you've if you ever wanted to contribute to the channel and you know support the channel and keep it going, becoming a patron for as low as one dollar a month on Patreon or as low as three dollars a month on sponsors goes a long way to help me continue to make content for this week in Linux as well as the channel in general. Which, by the way, I'll be doing a lot more coming up soon. I actually have a video I'm doing for a review and overview of Ubuntu Touch 
as well as many other things. Uh, you know, I'll I'll make a list and put it into the patrons. So whether you're sponsors or Patreon, I'll get you to give you like a, a what's coming uh, on the roadmap type list. So uh, if you're curious why there's a three dollar one for sponsors and one dollar for Patreon, well, it's because Patreon has a polling system, so the fees are a little lower, and it makes it more reasonable. Whereas uh, sponsors uses individual transaction fees, um, so that I the, the the fee percentage would be higher for a one dollar donation on sponsors versus Patreon. However, that only applies to uh, this channel because Patreon has changed their entire fee structure completely. And if you are new to Patreon, if you create an, if you're a new creator on Patreon, you have the same fee system that sponsors does, so it doesn't really even matter. Uh, but because I have an older version, like a grandfathered-in version of Patreon account, um, I don't have to deal with that new structure. So there's that. That's why there's a $1 versus $3 version. But if you'd like to support the channel, any amount is, aw- is awesome and very much appreciated. And we're actually doing a test right now so that if you are a patron, you can join the Discord server and be a part of the stream in voice form. Um, during this particular live stream. And in, in the future, we're going to test some more and see how it works. But yeah, so if you would like to come to the channel, I'd very much appreciate it. Uh, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon or tuxdigital.com slash sponsors to become a Patreon, either one of those. Or you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to find other ways like affiliate links and the the, the Linux is everywhere t-shirt and etc. So yeah. Up next in the show is the latest release of Kali Linux. 2019.2 has been released this week, and this release is mostly like some various tweaks, some bug fixes, and that kind of thing. Uh, but there's also some tools that have been updated, like a SEC list, SEC list, MSFPC, and EXE to hex uh, package have been updated, as well as some others. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk about this is because they have this new, uh, it's relatively new feature or project from Kali Linux called NetHunter. And NetHunter is an Android ROM overlay that includes a robust uh, mobile penetration testing platform. That's how they describe it. The overlay includes a custom kernel, Kali Linux uh, Truth setup, and accompanying uh, like their own Android application. And it also features an easier interaction with various security tools and attack st- uh, vectors. So beyond the penetration testing tools that comes with Kali Linux. You also are get with uh, gets access to support for several additional classes like uh, hid uh, hid keyboard attacks, uh, bad USB attacks. Uh, bad USB is the name of the attack stuff. Evil AP mana attacks and some many more. So this is really cool. I want to talk about this because uh, this is a small release overall for Kali Linux, but it also but the biggest release part of it is that NetHunter now supports fifty de- over fifty devices running Android, whether that's uh, from using uh, KitKat all the way to Pi, the current version. So the and they said in honor of this update, they have released thirteen new NetHunter images for the for the latest Android versions. Uh, Nexus 6 with you running Pi. Nexus 6P has Oreo version. Uh, OnePlus 2 has a Pi version. And the Galaxy Tab S4 Wi-Fi and LTE versions have Oreo now to be used with NetHunter. So this is pretty cool because uh, it gives you the ability to use Android as well as Kali tools inside of a uh, of your Android phone. And it w- I would say that it's definitely not a daily driver. Don't use this for your daily driver. Because it's, I mean, you could just say that about, if you're not a professional pen tester, then you should not be using anything that is pen testing related, like Kali Linux or anything like that, like Parrot OS or whatever, as your daily driver, regardless of what kind of device you're using it on. Because they're not intended to do that. If you are a professional pen tester, then it totally makes sense to be your daily driver because that's your job. But otherwise, don't do that because specifically in the frequently asked questions, Kali Linux says to not do that unless it is your job. So, uh, with that said, if you were interested in checking out the latest version or if you have a spare device, smartphone, or whatever to try it out with the NetHunter stuff, I do think it's pretty cool. So I'll have a link to both Kali Linux 2019.2 and the NetHunter project in the show notes. Up next in the show is to continue on with the security research distro or uh, uh, penetration distro, we're going to talk about Black Arch. 
Black Arch is Arch-based, and it's a penetration and security research distro, as I said. And it has uh, over 2,100, almost 2,200 tools at its disposal for penetration testing. Some of the key features of the latest release of 2019.06.01, which is an interesting thing because it's like if you look at the uh, blog post for their website, it says that it was released on June 1st, but it's not June 1st yet. And the it's already been released, actually, because if you, you can go download the ISOs right now, but for some reason it's, you know. Anyway, so in this release, they've added more than 150 new tools. They've added a Jedi, Jedi Vim, Jedi Vim plugin, and they've updated the other Vim plugins, as well as they've included the latest kernel of 4.1.4. What? 5.1.4. That's the actual latest kernel and the version that they are actually shipping. Not. I don't know. So they've also done some cleanups and tweaks to the ISOs uh, for the uh, Black Arch installer for version 1.1.1. They've included, uh, they've updated all of their Black Arch tools and packages for their specific stuff, as well as all their system packages, including some updates to their window managers like Awesome, Fluxbox, and Openbox. Um, but it's pretty interesting uh, overall because Black Arch is an interesting distribution. So if you are, if you are an Arch user and you want to use, uh, you know, you want to do penetration testing, then Black Arch is a good option for that because you actually get really, uh, you know, it's a rolling release and you get updates really quickly, that kind of thing. But uh, again, the same thing applies to Black Arch that applies to Kali Linux. Do not use it as your daily driver because it's not meant for that. Uh, but if you are interested in checking it out, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is another security distro, although not necessarily for that purpose. It's a security and privacy distro, and that is Tails. Version 3.14 has been released, and this release updates the Linux kernel to 4.19.37. Uh, it also updates most of the firmware packages, and it should prove, improve the support for newer hardware for graphics, Wi-Fi, and etc. due to the update of the kernel. They've also enabled all available mitigations for the MDS stuff, the, the microarchitectural data sampling, aka zombie load, attacks, and disable the, the SMT, SMT, simultaneous multi-threading, on all vulnerable processors to fix the riddle, fallout, and zombie load security. Riddle? Is it right? I don't know. Security vulnerabilities. They've also updated their version of Tor Browser to the latest version that just came out of Tor Browser 8.5. So if you need for any particular reason for having a distribution that is heavily focused on uh, privacy and security and also is the amnesic type of distro where it will delete the data after you've, you know, after you, when you reboot and that kind of thing, uh, then Tails is a fantastic distribution for doing that. And I recently found out that there's also a fork or a re related distribution called Heads, thanks to the live stream today. In the uh, when if you check out the uh, we stream the show live every uh, Saturday, typically every Saturday. And uh, this particular episode, we talked about Heads and Tails, which is kind of funny because Heads and Tails. Anyway, so if you'd like to check it out, I have a link to Tails 3.14 in the show notes. I just wanted to take a break uh, from the show just for like a little bit to, to remind you about the fact that I'm going to be at the Southeast Linux Fest this year, which will be happening at June 14th through the 16th in Charlotte, North Carolina. So if you are in the area and you'd like to come to a conference, uh, I think that self is a really good option to go that because it's not, it's a conference, but also it's like a giant meetup because there's a lot of social stuff. There's like parties at the end of the days every, for each day. And uh, there's a lot of extracurricular activities that not just the conference stuff. So it's a, it's a pretty cool conference to attend. And I will also be there as well as the rest of the Destination Linux crew to do uh, a lot of different things. I'll actually be doing two different talks. I'll be doing a talk for Caden Live, basically explaining my uh, my streamlined approach to doing editing in Caden Live, as well as like beginner to advanced techniques. I'll also be doing another talk where this talk is about open source marketing, the do's and don'ts and how to's. That's the title of the of the talk. Uh, and we'll also be doing a Destination Linux live, uh, I don't know if it's going to be streamed, but a live episode from the self uh, floor where uh, we'll, we'll be do, maybe talking about for people who are at the conference 
people giving talks and that kind of thing. So it'll be really interesting. And we also will more than likely have a couple special guests show up there as well. So uh, you should definitely check out that episode when it happens in June. Uh, so if you're interested in checking out Self, you can go to southeastlinuxfest.org to find out more. But again, it's June 14th to the 16th this year at uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, yeah, so I'll see you there. Or feel free to check out the episodes when they release. I'll probably be doing a This Week in Linux something there. I don't know what yet, but I'm planning on doing something. Uh, probably not a live stream because there's so much to do while I'm there. But something, a vlog or what, I don't know. Whatever, something like that. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more, Southeast Linux southeastlinuxfest.org. Up next in the show is Elisa, Elisa or something from KDE. It's a music player made by KDE. And this latest release is 0.4.0. There's been a lot of uh, features added to this particular release. And it's actually been, you know, it's a, it's because it's 0.4.4, it's a fairly new application and it's not necessarily alpha, but it's, it's definitely, it's, it's in between alpha and beta and everything. It's not meant to be used by everyone. It's more of a testing thing right now, but the stuff that they've been adding recently is really cool. So they've actually improved the amount of supported formats to basically anything that's playable by VLC because they added support for libvlc. They've also improved a new feature for the progress bar on Plasma Desktop taskbar entries because you can see how much of the song is being played uh, each for each individual song uh, on the taskbar using the progress bar structure, which is pretty interesting. And they've also improved their party mode by uh, adding it ability for your touchscreen navigation as well as making it possible to just click on an individual t uh, track to immediately switch to it and then rather than having to do like you know select it and then click the play and whatever you can just quickly hit it so if you're using it for like a party mode on a laptop you can just tap the, the song that you want to play and it goes it starts switching to it so that's a nice feature for that you know if you use that kind of thing uh, they've also updated the support uh, for adding an undo support for the playlist. So if you actually have, like I've done this in other uh, other play music players where you have really extensive playlists and then you accidentally clear the playlist. And in some players, they just, you cleared it and it's gone. And you have to start over. But in this, unless you had saved the file, of course. But in this case, uh, Elisa has a, un or Elisa, I don't know, has an undo, un undo feature. If you clear the playlist, you can, go back and bring it back immediately. So that's really cool. Uh, they've also improved some stuff where like the context menu now is able to show some extra metadata from the currently playing track like composer, lyricist, the amount of times you've played it, the lyrics of the song, and a bunch of other stuff. So this is really cool. And they've also been doing some development for Android. So it's not really, it doesn't really work on Android yet, but they've made it possible to uh, use Android to get music discovery from your existing collection. So that is like step one to making the software work on Android. So that's really, really cool. Uh, there's also been a lot of other things like overall performance improvements and optimizations and etc. cetera, uh, you know, uh, supporting um, embedded cover images and, you know, other features like that. So if you are interested in checking out a music player written by KDE, there's actually a couple of them. And Elisa is one of the uh, more modern looking uh, approaches to that. So if you are interested in checking it out, I have a link to it in the show notes for Elisa 0.4.0. Up next in the show is a desktop file search utility called Drill. It's a really interesting file search system because it, it's a, it does it a different way rather than the typical indexing of file searching. It does a crawling system using a completely different type of algorithm because like normally most file searchers use a, a depth first algorithm and this uses a breadth first algorithm. And uh, I'll have a link to like a, you know, like the, an article that explains the difference between the two and that kind of thing in the show notes. But um, what's really, what it really does is that um, depth first basically finds the tree and goes through all like finds a specifically tree root. And then it goes through um, basically it explores the highest depth nodes first before being forced to backtrack and expand on other nodes. So if you have a, a let's say like a tree system and you have the different levels, what a depth does, it just takes the first branch and goes all the way through that branch and then comes back up and goes again. Whereas 
a breath first does structure where it goes to the next level, does everything on that level, and then drops down to the next level and does everything on that level. So it's a much different way of doing it, and it's in in some ways is faster, depending on what kind of hardware you give it. So that's one of the interesting things that I want to talk about this particular uh, software because it is very fast. I have tried it. I I used the app image app image version. They actually have some other packages as well, but you know app images are available. Why not use it? And they do a lot of other things that make it really fast. So they don't require root privileges uh, because it doesn't really focus on the system files. And it also avoids certain types of folders that are known to be like just not likely useful, uh, like uh, system files, like v uh, var logs and that kind of thing. Unless you're looking specifically for those, then you probably wouldn't use something like this because this is more of like a catch-all search thing. Um, but they, the way they describe how that, how what makes Drill different from other things is like there's three key differences. I'm not going to say exactly because their way of describing it's kind of colorful. So if you want to check that out, I have a link in this in you know, the show notes for that for the actual project, so you can look there. But um, what they have the algorithm difference that I talked about earlier, but they also have multi-threading focus as well as heavy RAM usage, like a lot of RAM usage. If you have eight gigs of RAM, it will, depending on what you're searching for, it will try to use eight gigs of RAM. So they, the way they describe it in their uh, their project page, it says, "It's a, <laughs> this is the quote part, the part that I will quote. It says, I don't care about your RAM." I will use even 8 gigs of your RAM if this provides me a faster way to find your files. Unused RAM is wasted RAM. So that's the way they do it. And I think that's pretty interesting because I tested it, and it is very, very fast. Um, so I didn't really test how much RAM it used when I did the searching because I didn't really think about that at the time. Um, but it is really fast, so it more than likely will use quite a bit. So if you are interested in checking it out and you have a reasonable amount of heart, a reasonable powerful hardware, like it, it's probably not good for people who have like really old hardware. But if you have a reasonable amount, like you know four gigs at least or more, then it, you wouldn't have any kind of like bottleneck issue there. But I think that this is a pretty interesting um, software because it re was ridiculously fast. It's kind of similar to how uh, Windows has this application called Everything. And it feels kind of like that application. I don't, I'm not sure if they specifically meant to make a Linux version of that, but I, I think they did because of how similar they are and how fast they both they both work. So if you're interested in checking it out, I have a link to Drill in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a really interesting thing that GitHub has announced. They're calling it a sponsorship program. So what this is doing is it allowing people to sponsor contributors and developers on projects for a small amount per month, similar to Patreon sponsors and even Bounty Sources Salt program. So Bounty Source is a thing where you have a task and you put money towards that task, but they also have a Salt program. Well, the, okay, the program is named Salt, but essentially it's the same thing. It's like a Patreon or a sponsors type of thing, and you can do sponsorships for a monthly basis. Uh, so this new thing from Git, GitLab, GitHub is a sponsorship structure with also sponsorship tiers to have like rewards and that kind of thing, very similar to Patreon and sponsors. Um, what's really interesting about this is that it kind of is something that GitHub should have probably done in a long time ago because they needed a, they needed a, a much more uh, reasonable, universal even. Um, approach to making money for revenue because the previous private uh, project repos were only used by certain types of companies, whereas this allows them to make a small uh, percentage fee over like any time someone contributes to a developer or to a project. Now, the thing that's really interesting about this particular thing, since Microsoft has purchased GitHub, is that Microsoft is not charging any processing fees for the first year of anything through this sponsorship. They also have said that they will sponsor, they will match any of the sponsored amount up to 5000 in the first year of the sponsorship. So if you were to if you were to make 5000 as a creator or developer through this platform for the first year in that first year, Microsoft will give you $5000 as well 
by participating in this program. So that's very interesting. I mean, I don't really like Microsoft, of course, but in this case, this is kind of an interesting approach because they are not only are they taking the hit on the fees because there are processing fees regardless. They're t they actually are paying for those, and they're also giving money to the contributors or to the creators and developers if they were to be a part of this pro this platform. However, it's currently in beta right now. So in order to be a part of this platform, you have to add yourself to a wait list and hopefully they will approve you or not. Um, well, hopefully they'll approve you if you want to get, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, so anyway, this is an interesting thing that GitHub is trying and it makes sense that they would, you know, add some other way of making money rather than just a private repos because I mean, I should think that they don't require you to pay that anymore since get, since Microsoft purchased them, but whatever. But anyway, that's it. GitHub's sponsorship program is now currently in beta. If you'd like to check it out, I have a link to the uh, the post about it on the GitHub website, as well as that's where you could get to uh, sign up for the waiting list to potentially join if you're interested in doing so. Also, just a quick note, thanks to the live chat for the live stream that, you know, as I said, mentioned multiple times in the show that I do the show live uh, every Saturday. So if you'd like to join us and participate in that part of the show, then you are welcome to do so. Uh, but in the live stream, they mentioned that this is there's actually an extra feature that, that it's not just exclusive to their own sponsorship program. You can also link to Patreon and Kofi and other coffee or other things as well if you'd like to. And uh, so they don't they don't require you to use their sponsorship program. But if you do, you can you can promote other things as well. So, you know, that's a pretty interesting approach to it. Um, not only are they taking care of the processing fees and matching contributions made to through their program, but they also allow you to link to other things if you use it. Say, for example, tuxedo.com slash Patreon or tuxedo.com slash sponsors. Up next in the show is some interesting news, yet troubling news. And that is Huawei has been delivered a pretty major blow to its business, or its U.S. business at least, because of a recent ban from the U.S. administration that stops companies from doing business with China or Chinese-based IT companies. Not necessarily specifically Huawei, but Huawei is part of that situation. And it's, it's it seems to be heavily focused towards Huawei because there are other ones like ZTE that's not focused on this, even though they kind of sort of are in that same field. But there's like other things that like ZTE is a requirement of some kind of thing that, whatever, nuance. Anyway, uh, Huawei has been under intense scrutiny from the U.S. for allegedly working closely with the Chinese government and accusations of spying and IP theft and that kind of thing. Uh, Huawei has, of course, denied these claims over the years, uh, but, you know, that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, you know, But if not really surprised. The NSA uh, is, does not like competition on spying, so all of that, all all out ban means that companies are now starting to pull Huawei products, you know, pull their stuff from Huawei or you know being associated with Huawei and that kind of thing. Uh, Microsoft has taken down its uh, Huawei-based offerings from its websites. Google has denied access to uh, Huawei for its proprietary components of Android. Google has also suspended all the business with the company to comply with the new law. So this is very interesting and to see what happens with Huawei because uh, Huawei is the second biggest smartphone manufacturer. Actually, I think it is the biggest smartphone manufacturer now um, because they, they've been doing a lot of stuff with like the low-end phones as well as also high-end high phones with their Huawei Mate series. So... It's it's really interesting because uh, it's more than likely not going to end well for any side because of how complicated this makes it. Uh, but uh, Intel, Qualcomm, and Panasonic has have all also have reports that they've suspended their business with business dealings with Huawei. Um, so uh, you know, interesting because also like the, the arms arms holding is a company that is the company that creates the arm processor and arm is a UK-based company, so they might not necessarily need to end their their working with uh, the Huawei. But at the same time, if they if they don't have ARM, that kind of really heavily uh, makes them suffer from not, you know not having that chipset. But it's also worth noting that some phone uh, mobile phone networks in the UK have stripped Huawei from their 5G phone launch plans. But 
I don't know. It's interesting because, you know, with Huawei being affected by this and ZTE, for example, not being affected by this because of their technology for 5G, it's, it's this really weird, convoluted situation that uh, hopefully somehow they find a resolution soon. But another thing that's really worth interest, worth noting is that free software is not affected by this whatsoever because there was this uh, changing of how uh, open source and free software is associated and what laws it is under. Uh, there, was, there was a law that in 2016 changed the classification of free software so that the, these regulations and stuff are not affecting uh, anything that's in it's licensed that way. So, you know, because the software is open source and then, you know, they, they really, the licenses are not irrelevant to the regulations, which is, you know, nice in some ways because it means that there's a possibility that uh, Huawei could use Lineage OS, for example, and still have like an Android based phone, but not ship the proprietary stuff. And theoretically, they could just create a installer tool that installs the Play Store and all the other stuff because, you know, they don't have to provide it themselves. They could just provide an installer that does it and kind of get away with it. Maybe. That's just a, a theory that they might do. But overall, you know, it just gives you a more, uh, you know, gives a much more credence to open source and free software because none of that stuff, none of this stuff would be affecting if they were if they were focused on being an open source company or they were using or if the you know entire ecosystem was open source none of this stuff would be an issue whatsoever so yeah it's just it's just an interesting topic i think we're we're this is where we're going to end it here on this show but if you would like to learn more or see a more in-depth discussion we're actually going to talk about this particular news tomorrow or you know next week depending on whether you watch it live whether you're a patron or not of destination linux so destination linux uh, episode 123 will include a much more in-depth discussion of this particular topic, so be sure to check that out. I'll have a link to this um, this Forbes article about the issue, the situation with Huawei in the show notes below. So we're going to end this show with a, a series of humble bundles because, well, I want to and I like games and such. So uh, humble bundles uh, has three bundles that are currently active right now. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the gaming bundles. There are many native games in this bundle. There's actually 11 games in total, and eight of them are native games. So there's Punch Club, uh, Final Station, Speedrunners, Streets of Rogues, uh, Cluster Truck, Graveyard Keeper, and Party Hard, as well as a Party Hard uh, DLC. Now there's also Party Hard 2, but that is not native to Linux. It is available on Proton, but it doesn't have a very good rating. It has like a silver rating right now. There are two other games that are not native to Linux, but they have a platinum rating on Proton. That is Hello Neighbor and Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor. Now, that one does have a platinum rating, but it only has one rating at the moment, so it could be you know, hit or miss there. Uh, but I wanted to point out, like, uh, Cluster, Truck, Truck, Cluster Truck is a fun game. It's ridiculous, but it's fun. Most of these games are ridiculous, but fun. Uh, Speedrunners is a really cool idea because essentially it is a... A platformer, you know how a lot of games. Uh, there's a lot of there's a, an entire community about playing platformers and beating them as fast as possible. So and they call it they call that speed run. So this is a game specifically for that purpose. And you also can do like a multiplayer speed run thing where you have uh, you're trying to you're trying to be the fastest, but you're also trying to mess up the people who are you're competing against. And they give you a grappling hook that you can go and hook the other person and pull them back, and you can get in front of them and that kind of thing. It's a you gotta check out the video. It's it's ridiculously cool, so I think it's worth checking out anyway. Uh, there's also two other bundles I want to talk about: the computer graphics bundle, where you can get eBooks for graphic shaders, 3D math primer for graphics and game development, uh, various different other things like digital character development and, and etc. And there's also another one that is just a it's, an, it's weird, but it's an interesting bundle, so I wanted to talk about it. It's called the Secrets to Success bu uh, Bundle for eBooks. And these books are like a manager's answer book, tw 212, extra, the extra degree, Power of Discipline, Attitude is Everything, the 100, in, uh, the 100 by 0 principle. You know, that kind of, it's like, you know, six, Secrets to Success. It's like a self-help type thing. 
but a couple of these titles were funny, and I kind of wanted to just give them a little mention because they were funny. One is called The Coward's Guide to Conflict, and one is uh, Change is Good, You Go First. And the next one is, the last one I want to talk about is called Just Shut Up and Do It. And that's actually, might be you might be wondering, how did you possibly were able to get your show to be on time for once? Well, I decided to just shut up and do it. That's, I mean, that just happened to be a part of the, sh- the thing, but not really related to what I, you know. I, basically, I was just like, I just need to get it done. I need to be ready. So I did it. I don't know if that's actually what the book's about, but. That sounds like it, so there you go. If you're interested in checking it out, I have a link to all three of these bundles in the show notes. Uh, but I also want to point out that the links in the show notes and the video description are affiliate links. So if you do want to check out any of these bundles, uh, a small commission would be given to me to Tux Digital and to this podcast if you were to use those links to purchase these bundles, which I would definitely appreciate if you were to do so. Anyway, I have a link to all three of these in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, Sponsus, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere or tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. And also, just a reminder, uh, there you Memorial Day 10% off discount coupon code of FanFave that we I posted a video about earlier this week is still active. They extended the Memorial Day thing to, through Memorial Day. So if you would like to get that, any of the Linux is Everywhere merch, you can do so by uh, just using the coupon code FanFave at, at checkout. I'll have a link to... I'll actually have the coupon code in the video description and the show notes, as well as a link to the previous video to explain what all it is and how to do it and everything. Uh, We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many others by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live usually every Saturday, so join us in the live the chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. And this week was live and on time. Whew. Yeah, so thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.